This podcast was brought to you by withaim.co. In sociological terms, they call it the fundamental attribution error. Basically, it means that when people see someone in a bad situation, they tend to believe that individual brought it on themselves. What did I think of the homeless before I became one of them? Not much is the short answer. This is the story of Lee Crawford and how a series of bad choices flipped her life upside down. But what if there's an escape? One night, sleeping in her car with an ocean view, a desperate cry shattered the silence. I'm sorry. And then I hear a splash. What the hell is this woman doing? It's just April. The Pacific will be frigid. If I hadn't heard her cries, this stranger would have drowned, as she clearly intended. You should have left me. I don't want to be here. You're listening to Vanishing Shadows. This is Episode 7, Revelations and Regrets. Of course, I'd heard about the physical and emotional benefits of human touch. I knew that it released oxytocin, the hormone that creates feelings of trust, warmth, and well-being. I'd read that physical connection lowers stress, heightens compassion, increases immunity. Still, I am surprised at how the night with Jesse transforms me. I know it sounds syrupy, cliche, but it's true. The way he kissed me, touched me, held me. It made me feel seen again, valued. It has given me back my confidence. I am more than my circumstances. I am more than my mistakes. I am freshly showered, the scent of Jesse's vanilla shampoo lingering in my hair. My clothes are clean, washed in Jesse's basement laundry room. At work, the tale of his mother's abusive relationship runs through my mind as I refill coffees and pour beers, shuttle plates of food to and from the kitchen. Like Jesse's mom, Hazel is afraid, ashamed, hiding the truth. I'm likely her sole confidant. So she put on a show of perfection for those glossy women, pretended I was a virtual stranger, a charity case. It still smarts, but I am willing to give Hazel a chance to apologize. After the way I treated Teresa, I would be a hypocrite if I wasn't. After my shift, I drive back to the beach and park my car in that wooded alcove. I recline my seat, close my eyes, and listen to the waves crashing against the rocky shore, the knife cradled loosely in my grip. This is not a home, but the spot gives me a sense of familiarity, of belonging. I'd much rather be with Jesse, pressed against his smooth, warm back in his double bed. But this is second best. With the thoughts of our recent night together in my mind, I drift off to sleep. The tapping at the window startles me, though I am half awake, half expecting it. I fumble for the knife, but it has slipped down perhaps under my seat now. Early morning sun filters through clouds, revealing Hazel's face, pretty, contrite, framed in the window. I'm relieved. She came. And I wonder, has she come every morning since our awkward encounter in front of the oyster bar? It was days ago. And yet she is here, her features contorted with remorse. Thank God you came back she says when I open the door. I'm so sorry. 
I climb out of the car and stretch before I mumble. It's fine. I should never have treated you that way, Lee. I panicked. I didn't know what to say. I fucked up. I don't respond. I'm enjoying her groveling. Just a little. I brought breakfast and coffee. She indicates the familiar little pack on her back. Shall we go to our log? When we are seated side by side, Hazel offers me the thermos. Those women are not my friends, she says, digging in the backpack. They're married to Benjamin's colleagues. He insists I see them for lunch a couple of times a month. They're shallow and horrible. She hands me a brown paper bag. The scent of sugar, butter, and flour hits me. Peach and brown butter scones, she says with a rueful smile. I made them. Has Hazel baked each night, hoping to win me over with pastries? I bite into the buttery scone. It's delicious. I'd forgive almost anything for this. She picks up the thread of her explanation. If I'd introduced you as my friend, those women might have mentioned you to their husbands, and then they might have said something to Benjamin. He'd stop me from seeing you, Lee. He vets all my friendships. I couldn't risk it. It hurt, I tell her around a mouthful of scone. A lot. I feel sick about it. That's not who I am. Her chin trembles with emotion. And you didn't deserve it. You've been such a good friend to me. I decide to put her out of her misery. Fear and desperation can make you do terrible things. I should know. She doesn't press, but her body language is open and receptive. Her brow peaked with curiosity. I feel a strong pull to unburden myself. Maybe it is my renewed confidence, the regained sense of self. Or maybe I want her to know that I truly understand. I betrayed my only sister, I admit. And she'll never forgive me. What happened? She asks. And after a deep breath, I tell her. I expect disapproval, or at least distaste. But she says, You were under so much pressure. Can't she understand that? She'll never get over it. Not as long as she's with Clark. I look down at the remnants of scone in my hands. They'll be married by now. How could she forgive him and not you? It's a rhetorical question. She gives my forearm a gentle squeeze. You've lost so much. Tears well in my eyes, but I blink them away. Self-pity is an indulgence I don't have time for. Let me take you for a spa day, Hazel says brightly. Massage, facial, haircut, the works. On me. No, I say automatically. I couldn't. I was an utter bitch. You have to let me make amends. I insist. A smile curls my lips at the thought of the day of pampering. Are you sure? God, yes. I want to do it. When's your next day off? Thursday. There's a great boutique spa in that little complex across from Trader Joe's. I'll book everything and meet you there at 10. Sound good? Sounds amazing. She holds her hand out. Give me your phone. I pull the flip phone from my back pocket. She doesn't comment on the antiquated technology as she adds her number to it. Call me if anything comes up. Nothing will come up. 
This is the best thing that's happened to me since I left New York. Other than Jesse. But what about Benjamin? Won't he want to know who's calling you? I'm not allowed to have my phone on when he's home. I'll only answer if I'm alone. She stands up, brushes scone crumbs from her lap. I'll book a massage, haircut, mani-pedi. Could you book me a bikini wax? My cheeks are hot, and I'm sure bright red. It's been a while. I thought you and that guy were just friends. She's teasing me, like girlfriends do, but I feel awkward. We're more than that now. I shrug, look down at the rocks, my lips curling up. I'm happy for you. She's smiling, but her eyes look troubled. Maybe concerned. Maybe envious. But her voice is bright as she turns to go. See you tomorrow. I'll make rhubarb muffins. We'll be back to Daily Bedtime Tales right after this message. What if you could share your story with the world? What if you could inspire others with your passion, your message, or your vision? What if you had a team to help you craft the perfect story for your business or brand? Well, you can. And we at With AIM are here to make it happen. With AIM is more than just a podcast production company. We are your storytellers, your voice, and your partner in creating a podcast that will captivate your audience, showcase your brand's personality, and build a lasting relationship with your customers. So don't let your story go untold. Start your podcast today. Visit with aim.co slash podcast to learn more. That's with aim.co forward slash podcast. With AIM, be the voice of your brand. What's got into you? It's Randy, his tone cold and accusatory. Although he always sounds like that. Default mode, asshole. What? I ask, filling a glass with Coke from the fountain. What am I doing? You're cheerful, he says, pulling a toothpick from the dish near the cash register and peeling off the paper. And nice. It's not like you at all. I snort and roll my eyes, hurrying away with a glass of soda. Randy's not wrong. I'm happier than I've been since I came to Seattle. My prospects are slowly but surely improving. Hazel is getting me new identification. When I sell the Netske, I'll have a thousand bucks. And I have a spa day to look forward to. More importantly, I have a friend. And a boyfriend. Or a lover. Whatever Jesse is. He hasn't come to see me since I spent the night with him. But I'm not concerned. It's only been a few days. And I didn't imagine our connection. The closeness between us. This sense of vulnerability is new to me, though. I'm used to having the power. Holding the strings. I've never felt this way. Not with Andre, my boyfriend of four years. Not even in high school. I'm raw and needy. Is it because I've been stripped of my identity and everything I valued? Has my downfall opened me up? Torn down my emotional walls? It is an odd feeling. Heady, exciting, and terrifying. After my shift, I eat a burger in the kitchen, toying with my flip phone. It has been virtually useless to me. I've only made a handful of calls to auto glass repair shops. The phone has never rung. Not even once. Flicking through the contacts, I find Hazel's number. And Teresa's. I added it a couple of weeks ago. 
afraid I might forget it. But I'll never call her. I know that now. I don't have Jesse's digits, but I know where he lives. I could show up at his apartment. It's late, but he might appreciate the booty call. Or he might think it's creepy. That I'm creepy. Because a call implies using a phone, not showing up in person. The old Lee would have gone to him, wouldn't have worried about rejection. But I am different now. Softer. More fragile. The next time I see Jesse, I'll ask him for his number. With a wave to the kitchen staff, I shuttle out the back door. The alley is dark and quiet. A single bulb in a metal cage burns over the parking area. I am tired tonight, and the drive to the beach stretches long ahead of me. As I reach my car, I become aware of a figure in the shadows. I stop, my heart rabbiting in my chest. The knife is inside my car, next to the driver's seat. Do I open the door and grab for it? Or run back into the diner. The figure is coming toward me, growing familiar. Hey. It's Jesse, his voice husky. Did I scare you? Uh, yeah. Shit, sorry. Why didn't you come into the diner? There's no parking out front. I found a spot back here and decided to wait for you. I'm glad you did. I slide into his arms, and it feels warm and comfortable and right. My heart rate slows as endorphins flood through me. With him, I feel like I'm home. I wanted to see you, he says, his voice muffled by my hair. My sister and her kids are in town. They're staying with me. That explains his absence. It's too soon to meet them, obviously. But if he asked me to, I would. He lifts my chin so our eyes connect. I miss you. Me too. He kisses me and it is deep and hungry. The chemistry between us is so potent, so magnetic, that it just takes over. Last time we were together, I was the aggressor. But now it is mutual. Our hands run over each other's bodies, our hips pressing together. Jesse wants me. I hear it in his panting breaths feel it in the pressure of his erection against my thigh. His lips travel from my mouth, down my neck to my collarbone. Soon his hands are fumbling with the button of my pants. You make me so hot. The ache in his voice, the need, renders me weak with desire. I grab at his belt, undoing it with trembling hands. This is a bad idea. Randy or Vincent or anyone could come out for a smoke at any moment. I'd be humiliated. I could be fired. But Jesse pushes me up against my car, and I gasp as he enters me. I wrap my legs around him, bury my face in his neck as he moves inside me. Soon, he climaxes. Godly. His body collapses against me. You do something to me. I suppose it's a compliment, but I'm not sure how to respond. Thanks. I mumble. I'd better go. He zips his pants and then smirks. I told my sister I was running out to get milk. She'll think you've gone searching for a gal. He kisses my lips, a quick pack. They're leaving tomorrow morning. You can come over later, yeah? Sure, 
I say. I'll cook for you. But he doesn't respond. He's already hurrying away. I button my pants with shaking hands. I feel strange, almost lightheaded, unmoored. I didn't come. It was too quick, too frenzied. But that's not why I feel empty, dissatisfied. What I've loved about being with Jesse is the tenderness, the closeness, the normalcy. Fucking me up against my car in a parking lot, the sense of grease and garbage around us, it felt dirty. It felt demeaning. But this is my issue, not Jesse's. He doesn't know that I am broke, homeless, and running away from my past. He doesn't know that I need tenderness, warmth, and care. Hey. I turn toward the voice. It's Vincent from the kitchen. Did he see what just happened? My face burns with humiliation. Hey. Farther down the alley, the Audi starts up. Vincent's eyes follow the sound, but they give away nothing. Without a word, he turns and heads back inside. As the car drives off, I realize I forgot to get Jesse's number. The spa has gleaming white walls lined with pine shelving, each one displaying an array of beautifully packaged products. The bright scent of citrus lingers in the air, melding with the ambient electronic music that plays softly in the background. It has a Scandinavian feel to it, clean and modern and luxurious. As I walk to the reception desk, I feel out of my element. I used to get waxed and buffed and polished. Not often. But I had my personal grooming standards then. Such treatments are a luxury I could never even consider now. A young woman with dewy skin greets me with a smile. I'm Lee Gulliver, I say. I have an appointment. It comes out a question. Hazel had promised to book my treatments but I haven't had a chance to confirm with her. The woman taps at an iPad screen for an interminable length of time, like she's scheduling a flight or surgery. It might be under Hazel Laval, I say, growing concerned. Hazel was meant to join me so that we could spend our day of pampering together, but she'd thought better of it. Benjamin gets my credit card bills. If the spa charges double, he'll ask questions. She was foregoing her monthly spa session for me. I felt badly, but Hazel had insisted. Here we are. The woman finally looks up. We've got you booked for a bikini wax, a massage, and a mani-pedi, followed by a cut in the salon. Relief and anticipation flutter inside me. Thank you. She leads me to the change room, a steamy space full of mirrors, showers, and sweating jugs of cucumber water. Opening a locker, she hands me the key dangling on a wristband. Your robe and slippers are inside. Your esthetician will meet you through those doors when you're ready. Hurriedly, I strip out of my clothes, donning the fluffy white robe. It's an equalizer. Without my worn and rumpled clothing, I'm just another woman getting pampered on a Thursday. I pour a glass of cucumber water and take it with me into the hall. The esthetician, about my age wearing a white medical top, greets me. I'm Nadia. I'll be taking care of you today. She leads me down a dimly lit corridor. Let's get your bikini wax out of the way, and then get on to the good stuff. The entire process is heavenly. Except for the wax, which is necessary torture. 
Nadia hands me off to Ryan, the masseuse, and the massage relaxes me, makes me feel oddly weepy. But I gather myself enough to make small talk when Nadia returns to trim, file, and paint my nails a pale sheer pink. Like me, she works six days a week, but she is supporting elderly parents and a 10-year-old daughter, who is a promising pianist. Her husband works at a meatpacking plant. I volunteer no information about myself to this hardworking woman. I'm ashamed of my tumble from privilege, of the things I've done, the choices I've made. While my nails dry, I move into the salon. The stylist, whose fair hair and skin matches the Nordic vibe, stands behind me, taking in my reflection. He lifts a hank of hair from my shoulder. Let's cut off these dry, brassy bits. Give you some light layering at the ends for movement. Maybe a few subtle highlights through the crown. Sure, I shrug. This is Hazel's stylist. I feel safe in his hands. When he is done, my hair is gorgeous. He has straightened my natural wave and the style and color look a lot like Hazel's. I feel pretty. And I'm thrilled that I have plans to see Jesse tonight. I've missed him. And I want him to see me looking my best. I dress slowly, savoring the last moments of serenity, taking in my reflection, drinking more infused water. Eventually, I return to the lobby in the front desk where another glossy woman stands sentry. I've been here so long, there's been a shift change. Did you enjoy our treatments? She asks. Everything was wonderful, I say, because it was. Thank you. Will you be needing any products today? I wish. No, thanks. All right, then. Her eyes dart to the iPad screen. That'll be $565, please. My eyes widen with momentary panic, but I quickly recover. It was prepaid by my friend who made the appointment. The woman leans closer to the screen, her Botoxed features inscrutable. No, there was no prepayment made. My friend is Hazel Laval, I explain. She comes here all the time. Okay. It's clear this woman doesn't know Hazel. I don't know who booked these services. I just know that they need to be paid for. There is an edge to her pleasant tone, and my armpits feel damp. Of course, I mumble. It's just, Hazel said she was treating me. Perhaps you could put it on your credit card and settle up with her later? She doesn't understand. It's not that I can't afford it. I literally can't pay. I don't have enough cash, and I no longer have a credit card. My credit card was stolen, I tell her, my voice wavering. Let me call Hazel. I step away from the desk and open my phone. Finding Hazel's number in my contacts, I dial. Hello? Her voice sounds small, far away. Hazel, it's Lee. I feel awkward and embarrassed, but I have no choice but to press on. I'm at the spa. They're saying... The line goes dead. Panic sets in for real now. Hazel hung up on me. Or we were disconnected. I dial again. Hi, you've reached Hazel Laval. It's her voicemail. Please leave me a message. Hazel, please, can you come to the spa? Or call them? They're saying I have to pay for these treatments and... My voice cracks. 
I can't. I hang up. Maybe Benjamin is there, monitoring her. That means that Hazel's not coming to my rescue. That means I owe this spa over $500 that I do not have. I dial again, just in case. Hi, you've reached Hazel Laval. Fuck. The woman at the counter is watching me, the weight of her gaze heavy. I feel anxious as I hit redial. I know it is hopeless, but I am stalling for time, trying to figure this out. Hazel's cheerful recorded voice answers again. Jesse, he is my only hope. He will help me out of this mess. If only I had gotten his number last night. But at least I know where he lives. I return to the counter. Hazel's not answering, I tell the receptionist. But I can go to my boyfriend's place and come back with a credit card. Or cash. Can't you call him? Her tone is suspicious and rightly so. I can't admit that I don't know my boyfriend's phone number. He's working, I say, which might be true. I can leave something so you know I'll come back. She breathes out heavily, exasperated with me. I guess that's fine. But I have nothing. My flip phone is not worth the cost of a painted fingernail. And then I remember. I have a Netsuke in my car. It's worth a thousand bucks. I have no idea what that is. She's no longer trying to sound pleasant. I think I should call my manager. Let me show it to you, I say quickly. My car is right there. I indicate the battered Toyota through the window and realize it doesn't instill confidence in my ability to pay. But she lets me go to my vehicle, rummage through my belongings for the Netsuke. I am moving slowly, hoping beyond hope that Hazel will rescue me. When I return, I hold the bone carving out to the receptionist. I had this appraised, I say. It's worth a thousand dollars. I read the skepticism on her face as she looks at it, and I glance desperately at the parking lot. And that is when a sleek black Mercedes pulls in. It is her, Hazel. Relief floods through me like a drug. She's here. I say it more to myself than to the frustrated girl behind the counter. I watch Hazel get out of the car, her hair dark and shiny, and so like mine now. She's wearing a long cardigan and huge sunglasses and has a stylish leather bag over her shoulder. She is the epitome of style, of cool. But there is a grim set to her mouth, and her movements are rushed and frazzled. Sorry, she says as she hustles to the counter, already pulling the wallet out of her purse. Her treatments are on me. Thanks. My throat is thick with relief, gratitude, shame. The woman swipes the proffered credit card, her demeanor slowly returning to polite, even obsequious in Hazel's presence. I wait patiently, awkwardly, until the transaction is complete, and then I trail Hazel out the door. We stop next to my car and Hazel addresses me for the first time. I'm sorry, I fell asleep. Last night was... A lot. Are you okay? I ask, though she is clearly not. Without a word, she removes her sunglasses. Under her left eye is a half moon of dark purple bruising. I have to leave, she says softly, before he kills me. <laughs>